you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to wrap up our study of Elijah by looking at Elisha and the transition that took place when Elijah went up, Elisha stepped up and replaced him as the man of God and the prophet of God here in 2 Kings chapter 2. In fact, what we'll do is let's let's pick it up in the middle of this because we're continuing from our lesson last week. Let's pick it up and uh, pick it up in verse, verse verse nine. Let's look at verse nine. Elijah has just cro- has just parted the waters of the Jordan with his mantle in verse nine, and it says this. Now it came about when they had crossed over, and that was on dry land that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what shall I do for you before I am taken from you? That idea of translation, of rapture, of being taken up. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. That's like asking for the double blessing the double inheritance of the firstborn son. Basically saying, hey, I want to be your heir of your prophetic powers. And he said to him, you have asked a hard thing. And I think there's a lot in there, a lot of subtlety. You know, Elijah is like, you don't know what you're asking for, son. My job ain't the easiest and certainly wasn't. Hey, guys, come on in. Bringing that beautiful babe. Now, you're... Your mom is not going to learn a single thing from this awesome lesson now. You realize that, don't you? That's right. All right, Carmen, eyes up here. Nevertheless, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it came about. As they were going along, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. So there's this, this, this amazing revelation of the glory of God. Uh, Baal was known as the rider of the clouds, and indeed, Yahweh is the true God, and He brings the glory and the chariot and the horses, and it's all emblematic of this great storm. Baal claims to be in control, but truly it is the one true God of uh, Israel. And so verse 12, Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And there's a question here in this verse. Is he ref- what's he referring to? Is he referring to what just happened? Is he referring to the Lord? Or is he referring to Elijah? And I believe he's referring to Elijah. He has seen the glory of God, and he's realizing, though, too, that Elijah is the represent- representative of that glory, and that representative, that prophet, is being taken back up into glory. What a reward for his faithful service. Jeremy, if you can get these guys... No- oh, you got notes? Okay, are you okay? Okay, I want to take care of you. And he saw him no more. 
Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And I think that's significant. He's, he's mourning the loss of God's man, but he's tore his clothes, it says specifically in two pieces, because I think he's, rep- he's thinking about, okay, God's, God's man is leaving the scene. We're under judgment. The kingdom of Israel is divided, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, two pieces. We're under judgment. We are under judgment. And he's mourning not only the loss of Elijah, his mentor, my father, my father, but he's mourning the fact that God's glory and power is going to leave God's people because they have left him. He also, though, look at verse 13. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And then comes verse 14, which I'm telling you is the most important verse in this chapter. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Where is he, Lord? We want you still to be among us. God's man has been taken up, but he's, and he's holding his mantle. And he strikes it and says, where is the God of Elijah? And remember, Elijah meant Yahweh is my God. And so he's reaffirming his belief. And when he had also had struck the waters, boom, behold, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw him, they said, hey, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and they bowed themselves to the ground before him. They acknowledge him. They acknowledge. You know, wow, the, tra- the transition has taken place. But notice the very next thing they say. Then they said to him, Behold now. Now, this isn't a behold for God going to do something. This is a behold of, hey, we got a plan now. We got a good idea in light of this transition. Behold now, there are with your servants 50 strong men. Please let them go and search for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or into some valley. And Elisha said, You shall not send. Don't do that. He's gone. I'm here. I'm God's man. Don't do that. Verse 17, but when they urged him until he was ashamed, and and, and the word could mean brokenhearted, he said, sinned. And they sent, therefore, 50 men, and they searched three days, but did not find him. And three days in the Bible kind of means, hey, it's done. You know, it's fully, they, they fully scoured the land. They returned to him, and while he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? It was like, hey, you guys said I was the man of God. The man of God said, don't go. You went. It didn't work out like you thought. Now listen to me is the point. And then we get two illustrations of why we should listen to the word of God. The first one, verses 19 through 22, is a story of blessing. And then the last one in verses 24 through 25 is a story of cursing. And so, then the men of the city said to Elisha, 
Jericho, men of Jericho. Behold now, the situation of city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. We said that probably means miscarriages of both the women as well as the livestock. It was water of death. He said, bring me a new jar and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. He went out to the spring of the water and he threw salt in it. And he said, thus says the Lord. Okay, salt should make the water undrinkable. But when God's word, when you're doing God's word and and doing God's work, God's way, according to God's word, God can perform miracles and make transformations. Thus says the Lord, I have purified these waters. There shall not be from there death or unfruitfulness, miscarriages, any longer. Verse 22, so the waters have been purified to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Then he went up from there. He's kind of retracing their steps. He's going from the Jordan He's going to Jericho. Now he's going to go to Bethel. Look at verse 23. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up by the way, young lads came out from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Hey, baldy, go up. Hey, baldy, go up. And when he looked behind him and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Now he's not cussing. He's cursing. Uh, We've seen... Uh, oaths being sworn to the Lord uh, throughout our study of Elijah. And here, whereas in verses 19 through 22, there was blessing imparted, now there is cursing. Basically, he's giving them over to God's judgment and saying, hey, this isn't between you and me. This is between you and God, and I'm going to leave you in his hands and under his judgment. Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 lads of their number. And he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Now, here's what I want to do. Let's, let's review. These are two facts, and there are three truths that we want to know from this story. Last week we saw two facts about this translation of Elijah, and it was this. It was a time of tension for God's people, because it was a time of transition for God's people. Transitions bring tension. And those are the two facts. Elijah was going up. Elijah was going to step up and fill his shoes or take on his mantle. And, uh, and so that, that, that was a time of tension because of this transition. But the key to the transition is this. The issue is not, where is Elijah? The issue is, where is the God of Elijah? All right? We've studied this man's life, and as important as Elijah was, what's more important and what we've learned more about, or at least I hope we have, is about the God of Elijah. Where is the God of Elijah? So, what about transitions? This is a leadership transition that's hard in a church. It's hard at work. It's hard in any area of life. But there's also transitions of seasons of life. Uh, You guys got a little transition there you're holding. And uh, there's all sorts of transitions in life. Okay? And so here are three truths about our times of transition. 
In fact, we just went to the dinner at Avant up here, Missions, where some of our people work, and they're in a transition of two mission agencies joining together. Big transitions, people moving from Dallas to Kansas City. Some lost their jobs, some kept their jobs, some had to move away from loved ones. It's big transition. There's just transitions. So here's the three truths that we learned. Truth number one, transitions always test our loyalty to the Lord. That's what this is all about. Who are you going to trust in your transitions? Truth number two, transitions are times of testing for God's people. When you go through a transition, the devil wants to tempt you to question God's loyalty, but God is testing your loyalty to Him. And we saw that there's four responses in these groups of people. We saw that you can be a distant observer. You can stand back and take a wait and see. You know, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to withhold my giving. I'm going to withhold my commitment. I'm going to withhold myself until I see how this transition turns out. Number two, we can be selfish consumers like the citizens of Jericho. We can say, hey, I like this transition because it's blessing me. You know, well, what happens when the transition doesn't bring blessing? Will you still trust the Lord? And then number three, we can be hardened as scoffers who say, I don't care what changes around here. I'm not going to be happy. You know, God's just not doing things my way. Well, that brings us this morning to the right focus, the right response to transition. And it's this. We can be loyal followers, loyal followers followers like Elisha was, loyal followers in the midst of transition. And what's that mean? We do two things. In your transition, trusting the Lord is still on his throne, even in times of transition. You know what? Things change down here. The seasons change. You know, the sporting... Uh, events change, teams go up, teams go down rather quickly around here. kind of takes a long time to get back up uh, in the Kansas City area, but uh, hopefully we're back up for our football team. But all these things change down here. But what doesn't change is God's still in control. God is still on His throne. And so I think it's interesting that Elijah models the right response for us. He doesn't let anything, he doesn't take a wait-and-see approach. He is right there wherever God's man's at, wherever God's word is at, that's where he wants to be. He doesn't get distracted from following. The sons of the prophets are like, aren't you going to panic? Aren't you going to worry? You know, God's doing something. He's like, hey, be quiet. I'm staying focused on what God has me to do. He refused to doubt God's goodness. What did he focus on? Elisha focused on the main thing. I want God to doubly bless me. I want God's presence and power in my life. So whatever transitions you're going through right now, stay focused. You know, some transitions bring... Uh, uh, result in brokenness. Some result in happiness. But whatever you're at... Keep the main thing the main thing. Stay focused on the presence and the power of the Lord in your life. And that brings us to remaining loyal to the Lord no matter what the cost. Remaining loyal to the Lord 
no matter what the cost. And I have a couple things there. Um, Elisha stayed focused on following the Lord. He is, he is walking with Elijah all along the way. Elijah says, stay here. I'm going to go alone. He said, no, you're not. I'm, I'm walking with you. Stay here in Jericho. No, I'm not. I'm going to walk with you. And he walked with him and he stayed with him. And you know what happened? As a result, he crossed over the Jordan on dry land. The people that took the wait and see approach, they stayed over on the safe bank. They didn't get to experience that miracle. Furthermore, when Elijah was taken up, what were the two men doing? They were walking and talking. Why? Because he was staying focused on the Lord and His Word. Okay? And that's what we need to do in our transitions. He refused to be distracted. Here's what he swore. He swore, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And then he desired a double portion. He desired the double portion. And here's the good news about this. Here's where we don't have to be like Elisha. Because a greater prophet than Elijah or Elisha has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And according to Ephesians 1, he has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So we don't have to ask for a double portion. We already have... A double, 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 double portion. We've got all blessings that we need in Christ Jesus. What we need to do in transitions is understand that as difficult as they are, I still have all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. So I don't need to hang my head. I don't need to be anxious. I don't need to worry because in Christ Jesus, I have that. That is an amazing truth. Um, he's the greater prophet that we need to stay focused on. He's the greater king who has given us the double inheritance of his kingdom. And then third, keep God and his blessings in proper perspective. I really like this because he acknowledges that God's glory has been seen, but he also honors God's man at the same time. But he puts him in proper perspective. First, he sees the glory of God. Then he gives honor to Elijah. And I think that's a reminder to us that he honors Elijah's character, who he was and what he meant to Israel. He laments his departure, knowing that it means coming judgment. He continues Elijah's ministry. I like that. He picks up the mantle and he re-enters. Re he doesn't just lament. He doesn't look to the past. He just keeps moving in ministry. And then he remains loyal because he wants more than anything. He wants the God of Elijah. And that reminds us that Jesus Christ is the greater priest who says to us, I am the Lord. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. We don't have to say, where is the God? Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? We know the Lord is who? Jesus Christ. Okay, we don't have to ask that question. We know that the Lord, the Father, is on His throne, but seated at His right hand is the Lord Jesus Christ. We know where the Lord is. And He's interceding for us. And when you have Him, you have all that you'll ever need. So the right response is to remain a loyal follower. But here's the third truth that we want to close with, and it's this. Transitions 
are a reminder for God's people that God is still on the throne. Transitions are a reminder for God's people that God is still on the throne. So, stop a moment with me and think. Why can I remain loyal in transitions, even hard ones? It's because God's still on His throne. And in this story, and we're going to end this series focusing on the character of God. So here's four, four truths to remember, or four reasons why you can remain loyal in times of transition. And here's the first one. The Lord's power can still reach us. The Lord's power can still reach us in our times of transition. You say, I don't want anything to change. Or I don't like going through change. Or I don't like the results of the change that I just went through. Okay, that's all realistic. But understand this. Nothing has changed in the, in, in the, in the sense of God's power can still reach you. And that's the whole thing about parting the waters of the Jordan. Because Elijah is leaving and he parts the waters. The question is, has God's power left with God's man? And the good news is, Elisha returns, and what does he do? He does the same thing that Elijah did. Because it's not about who's in charge down here, it's about who's in charge in heaven. Are you with me? God's power can reach you in your transitions. The question is, is that who we're looking to? So here's what you need to do. Well, let, let me think about the New Testament truth. Here's the New Testament truth of that. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the great I am God. What does he say when he transitions up? He says, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. And then he gives the great commission. And then he says, lo, I am with you always. God's power can still reach us. So pick up the mantle of the Lord and stay on mission. So if you're in a transition and you're wanting to check out or you're wanting to, to take a wait-and-see approach, no, get into the fight, pick up the mantle of the Lord and stay on mission. So that's the first truth. Secondly, remember this, to remain faithful. The Lord's Word can still guide us. The Lord's Word can still guide us, but listen to me. You've got to listen to it and then obey it. Okay? So that's the lesson of the sons of the prophets. There they come and they see that Elijah has gone. They see Elijah. They come and they bow before him. And then they say, hey, we got a great idea. Let's go look for your, your, your mentor. Let's, let's look to the past. Let's try to hold on to the past. And he says, don't do that. Well, we want to do it anyway. And the man of God who speaks the word of God says, don't do that. Oh, we want to do it anyway. All right, go do that. Hey, it didn't work out. I told you, don't do that. Now, let me tell you, did you have that conversation with the Lord this week? Did the Lord tell you to do something this week and you, you argued or you reasoned or you debated with him and you did what he said not to do? Or you failed to do what he said to do, and it didn't turn out well. And he's saying to you, I told you, right here, this is what you do. It's in this book. 
And so the Lord's word can still guide us. And here's the thing about transitions. They distract us from the word of God. And that's exactly what Elisha refused to do. He refused to be distracted from the Word of God. And in those days, the Word of God was localized there in the man of God. And so wherever Elijah went, Elijah was going to let him guide him. You know, Elijah was like, hey, I don't have an agenda today. You're my agenda. How about that for starting your day out? Lord, I'm going to set aside my to-do list and ask you, what's your to-do list for me? The Word of God will guide you. Stay in the Word during your transitions. Don't let brokenness, don't let your brokenness or your blessedness keep you from reading it, hearing it, and obeying it. And that brings us to the third reason why we can remain faithful in transitions. The Lord's grace, grace can still bless us. The Lord's grace can still bless us. You say, Chris, I'm in a bad transition. This isn't going the direction I want. This is, it's breaking my heart. It's hard. I'm discouraged. But understand this. The Lord's grace can still bless you in that transition, in that brokenness. If, if you seek Him for His blessing. But remember, the citizens of Jericho, they sought the blessing, but not the blesser. So understand this, that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're in hard times today, you are still blessed by God's grace because you have a secure, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And you've got someone you can turn to that lost people can't turn to. And you've got someone interceding for you that lost people don't have interceding for them. And you have all blessings and riches and, 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 and all graces. And you, you just you have the ability to be blessed because it's not based on what you do or what you're going through. It's based on what Christ has done and who he is. So much to say there. Let's move on. Fourth, the Lord's wrath should still scare us. Fourth reason to remain faithful is because the Lord's wrath should still scare us. Now, what do I mean by that? Do I mean that as saved people, God will pour His wrath on us? No. As believers in Jesus Christ, we know that He satisfied God's wrath for our sin. He took our sin and God's wrath upon Himself, and He paid the price. He satisfied that judgment, and now we receive forgiveness, and righteousness is a free gift. But, to think that a God that holy has forgiven us ought to put a healthy measure of fear and reverence in our hearts. Okay? He didn't have to do this. In fact, what we deserved was fiery wrath for all of eternity. But He was gracious and He gave us this. So we should still say, you know what? In this time of transition, I don't want to listen to the devil. And I don't want to forsake the Word. I don't want to forget God's Word. And I don't want to forsake Him because I have a healthy respect for, for His holiness. And, of course, the lesson for that is in verses 23 through 24. Lessons of verses 23 through 24. So let's talk about, this is one of the hard wrath passages. And even having studied it, 
there is, I'm still, there's still some, it's just hard, okay? It's hard. And mostly because we have too high a view of ourselves and too low a view of God. And if we'll have a higher view of God as revealed in the Bible, we'll better understand His wrath upon sin and rebels and people with hard hearts. So let's, let's take a look, verses 23 through 24. And basically, I've got six questions to help you work through this. Now, uh, and the first question is probably the hardest. What is the age of the little children? What is the age of the little children? The New American Standard says, Then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up by the way, young lads came out from the city. Unfortunately, the King James just flat out said little children, which is not totally inaccurate. It can mean that. The question is, is that the best translation in this context, okay? Because little children, you're just thinking of, you know, the nursery. And God unleashing she-bears to maul the babies in the nursery. That's, you know, the toddlers or the promise kids, okay? Well, is that what it means? There's a lot of... Uh, the English translations all push us towards younger uh, younger boys. Uh, new, uh, as I said, New American Standard says young lads, which I think is probably a better, even though, now if we're in England, everybody know what that means. Because Bill Hovings, our missionary Bill Hovings, always talking about lads, which cracks me up because it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. Young people. Young boys in the Net Bible, small boys in the ESV, youth in the New King James, which probably is a good translation, just kind of youth, okay? Uh, boys in the NIV, and then small boys and children in the Christian uh, Standard Bible. Now, what's the problem with this? We think of children as innocent, right? And there's a degree that when they're young enough, when they're when they're young enough to not know as the Bible would say, not know between right and wrong, there is a general innocence, even though they've been born with a sin nature, right? Even though babies are born with sin nature, they're, you know, knowing right and wrong. So it's just harder. But these words could mean young men. It can mean young men. In fact, one of the words, without the qualifying young or little, uh, refers to the young men advisors who surrounded Rehoboam, King Rehoboam, and advised him to be a hard nose as a new king. So these were young, these were advisors, you know, young men. In fact, uh, the word can also refer to the young men in 1 Kings 12, uh, where um, young men went out, out and went to battle. They went out to battle. Actually, 1 Kings 21, where we studied with Ahab. They went out to battle. So you kind of have this range. What's the age of these guys? I mean, it could be from 10 up to 20s, okay? And I think, as we're going to move on, I think you're more into, you know, this range. But even if they're this young, that's old enough to be accountable to know right and wrong, isn't it? Okay. 
And listen, you can be 10 years old, know right and wrong, understand that you have a guilty conscience, and if you reject Christ, you won't go to heaven. Are, are we okay? Do we understand that? Probably. I mean, you can get down, right? Now, these weren't five-year-olds, okay? But what I'm saying is, we need to understand that age, uh, when you're talking this, you're talking accountable and responsible for your responses to God. And what we see in this passage is we're going to go on these other questions. These guys are willfully and in a group, a large group, over 42 of them are intent on mocking God and His prophet. So there is difficulty in that but not if you have a broader view of God's holiness and our sinfulness, right? But I would say these are young men. I think youth is a good, you know, think of, uh, of people going, you know, uh, think of young gangs down on the Country Club Plaza. Those are high schoolers. Shooting, attacking, instilling fear. And what would we say? Hey, they need to be held accountable for that. You know, they need to be uh, punished for that. And so, there's the idea. What is the age of the little children? I definitely wouldn't use that translation, that understanding. Number two, how many of these young men are there? Well, more than 42 because the Bible says that at least... or how, Let me just say it directly... Um, tore up 42 of their number. So these bears mauled 42 of their number. So definitely larger than 42. Perhaps 50. 50 has been a number that's been a theme in these stories. Maybe 75, maybe 100. Well, you know, I'm not imagining 110-year-olds chasing a prophet down. I think these are young men. It's a mob. It's, a, it's not kids playing on the playground. Number three, where are they coming from? Where are they coming from? They're coming from Bethel. So you got this mob, and they're coming from Bethel. And why is that significant? Because Bethel was a very special uh, place. In the history of God's people, it means house of God, but it has become headquarters for Baal worship. Remember when King Jeroboam the rebelled? Uh, we call him Jerkaboam because he was a rebel. He rebelled and he created two headquarters for Baal worship, one in the north in Dan and one in the south in Bethel. So this is a headquarters of Baal worship. And so these guys... A group, a mob, an unruly mob of 20, of 20 somethings or late teens are coming out of Bethel. They're unbelievers. What's their purpose? Number four. What's their purpose? What was their purpose? I think their purpose, possibly, we don't know, it doesn't say. Well, definitely we know their purpose was to mock the man of God, okay? But I think there's more implied there. You've got people coming out of Bethel. Well, what did Ahab and Jezebel, what was the policy 
of the northern kingdom regarding God's prophets. What did you do with a true prophet if you were a, a Baal follower? What would you do? Huh? You killed him. You killed him. What was Jezebel's, pro- Jezebel's policy was to wipe out all the prophets. So there's, there's a possibility that these guys, we don't know, but there's a possibility not only to mock him, but they're coming at him. He had to look back to see them. So he's not antagonizing them. He's, not, uh, he, he's minding his own business, and they're coming at him. And we already know in the previous chapter, 1 Kings 1, he's had three companies of soldiers come at him to do what? To kill him. So that's the, that's the context, I believe. Their purpose is not to mock, I think, not just mock. This is a war of worldviews. And potentially they're coming to... And you know what? Perhaps they were going to maul him instead of kill him. Perhaps they're going to beat him up, give him a little roughhousing to teach him a lesson. Number five, what were they saying? What were they saying? They were mocking the man of God who was a prophet of God who represented the word of God. They were mocking God as they were mocking him. Okay, And this word is a strong word. They're mocking, they're scoff, scoffing, they're, they're making fun of him. They were hardened in their unbelief. They said it two times. In Scripture, when something like that said two times, so again, this is willful. I'm going to mock you, and I'm going to mock you again, because you deserve every bit of it. Okay, And they were challenging his status, and we know that by what they said. They were challenging his status as a prophet. So th- let's, let's look at this. What do they say to him? It sa- they say to him, go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Now, first thing we want to look at is what does go up mean? Now, go up is the same word used in verse 11 for Elijah going up. So very likely, there's a possibility that they had heard by this time of Elijah going up and they're saying, oh, Elisha, you're one of those guys. Prove it. Go up. Go up. And then there's also the idea of go up and get out of here because we don't want you here. Elijah went up and he's gone. Now we want you to be gone too. Go up. Get out of here. Wow. Can you think about God's grace? Elijah left, rightly so, as a picture of judgment. In God's grace, Elijah comes back with the word of God and they say, Get up, go up, get out of here. That puts it in a different light, doesn't it? That puts it in a totally different light. Get up, get out of here. Also, go up has the idea, too, of going up to worship. Maybe they were saying to him, Hey, get back here, you know. Come back and worship Baal. You need to go up. Don't leave. Go up. Go up to worship Baal. In fact, we may take you to worship him. Okay? I don't know. We don't know. And then what does baldy mean? Well, more than likely, he was bald. But there's more to it than that. Now, in this culture, in that culture, 
it is kind of a shame to have a bald head. I hate to tell some of you that. All right. But it, 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 was, it was just kind of a, uh, you know, which sometimes people still think that way. But, you know, what can we say? But here's the idea. He's probably bald. But what did pro, what, what does he have on him? He has the hairy mantle of Elijah. So here's this guy. He's basically walking around with this hairy coat. And he's saying, I'm the prophet of God. And he's like, they're saying, no, you're not. You're bald. Hey, baldy. You think you're a hairy prophet of God? No, you're, you're baldy. You're powerless. You're, you're shameful. Get out of here. And so they're mocking the man of God. So what's the context? Number six, what is the context of the story? Well, here's the context of the story. The context is covenant loyalty and covenant disloyalty. Because here's the deal. When you're loyal to the covenant God, it brings blessing from him. When you're disloyal to the covenant God, it brings cursing. And we just saw the blessing in the citizens of Jericho. Now we're seeing mocking, scoffing, get up, you're not a real prophet. If you are, prove it by going up to heaven, get out of here. And so God, here's what Elijah, uh, Elisha, here's what he does. He curses them in the name of the Lord. He says, look, this isn't about me. It's about you and the covenant God. I release you to his judgment. And immediately two she-bears come out. These are covenant bears. They're covenant bears, just like the covenant lion ate the disobedient prophet earlier in our studies. Here the covenant bears maul the unbelievers. So you look in your notes, Leviticus 26. This is a fulfillment of Scripture. Look at Leviticus 26, 21 through 22. If then you act with hostility against me, which they were, and you are unwilling to obey me, which they is evident in how they treated God's prophet, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins and destroy, and, and, and I will let loose the beasts of the field, the lion that ate the prophet who disobeyed, the she-bears that maul, 42 of them. I will let loose among you the beasts of the field, which will bereave you of your children. Because look, sin in parents has consequences for children and for communities. And destroy your cattle and reduce your numbers so that your roads lie deserted. In fact, in Hosea 13, the Lord says this, I will encounter them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their chests. There I will also devour them like a lioness as a wild beast would tear them. Here's the context. Listen. God keeps His covenant word. And when you place your faith in Him, humble yourself, and ask for grace, He keeps His word and He will bless you. And yet He keeps His word of judgment. And if you mock His word, if you forsake His word, if you uh, live in disobedience, God will be faithful to His word and there will be consequences of judgment. You say, well, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Christ took my judgment. That's good, but you're now in the family of God and the Father disciplines His wayward children. 
So here's the idea. In times of transition, trust the Lord. He's still on His throne. He's still keeping His word. So seek Him in your transition. Don't forsake Him. Don't bail on Him. Don't put your life on pause because it's difficult at this time. Pick up the mantle of the Lord. Stay in the Word of God. Trust Him. And He has already given you all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And He will get you through this transition. And you will see Him in a bigger way on the other side. Amen? Because His power still reaches you. His Word still guides you. Alright? And His grace can still bless you. But have a fear of Him. For His wrath should still scare us. Run to Jesus. He wants to bless you in Him. So, let's pray. Father, hard passage, difficult to read, some ways difficult to understand, but when we go to Your Word, we just see You're being true to Your Word. You're just being true to Your Word. Lord, I pray for the transitions in this room. And I pray that we will pass the test of loyalty. That we will trust that you are sovereign over our transitions. But more than that, you're near to us in the person of Christ, our prophet, our priest, our king. And that, Lord, you are worthy of following you, listening to you, and obeying you, even in the worst of times, even in times of apostasy, even in times of transition. Lord, as we leave the study of Elijah, cement these truths in our lives. May we return to them. May we listen to them again and and be reminded that you, by your grace, can make us loyal even in the worst of times. Lord, help us with that. Help us to remember that. And Father, like Elijah, turn the hearts of the fathers in this room to their children and turn the hearts of children to their fathers that we may see revival, that we may see revival, restoration, and reconciliation before it's too late. We pray this in the gracious name of our Lord and Savior, the true Yahweh, Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Trust him. He's on his throne.